Hello and welcome to the Midwestern Scout. I'm your host, Dustin White. In this episode, we'll be looking at a couple Wild West women of Bismarck, Molly Myers and Mrs. Nash. An Amazing Tale of Molly Myers Stepping off a steamer in 1872, Molly Myers would have a unique honor. She was the first white woman in Edwiton, the city that would become Bismarck. Through a series of misfortunes that Molly would arrive in what would become Bismarck, Having been sent downriver from Fort Randolph, Molly was undaunted. She would serve for a while as a servant to a laundress in the Sixth at Sioux City, but intended to travel back up the Missouri. Catching a steamer headed to Fort Buford, Molly's trip would be cut short. Being recognized by the commanding officer at Randolph, who informed General Hazen of his orders, as he could not land with her in the limits of a military reservation, they would dock at the first citizen camp that they came upon and Molly would be escorted off the steamer at what was known as Carlton City, which was inhabited by some 200 men. The event would stick with an early pioneer woman and historian of Bismarck, Linda W. Slaughter. Witnessing Molly being removed from the steamer, she wrote, quote, I had never before seen a woman mistreated, and was shocked and indignant that a woman should have been forced ashore in such a place and among so many men, but it was soon known that she was a noted person, class forbidden at military post and known as Dutch Molly." Unquote. Molly would settle into the area, making a living as a woman of ill repute, the world's oldest profession. Her first year in Bismarck was rough. She would settle in with a woman named Annie, who was said to have been the first black woman in Bismarck, and eventually became a reformed prostitute. Along with giving up her past profession, she also gave up her name, and would then be known as Molly Stockings. Early in 1873, the area that would become known as Bismarck was divided into several parties. Various town sites had been claimed, and ill will was building between the factions. Molly would end up finding herself smack dab in the middle of the Troubles, after meeting Joseph Pennell, and later marrying him. Pennell had made a claim for the Puget Sound Company, and what many believed to be the rightful town site based on what the railroad wanted. With the news that Molly was keeping house in the PS and LS headquarters, the unpopularity of the company intensified the dislike on the other claimants towards its agent, in particular Colonel George Sweet, rose. The feud would eventually die down, and Molly, now known as Alice Pennell, soon left her old name behind and built herself up as a leader in the Bismarck Society, as well as a pillar in the Presbyterian Church. For half a decade, Alice and Pennell would appear to have a happy marriage, as Colonel Loonsbury wrote, quote, Whatever her faults may have been, provided, for a time at least, an affectionate and acceptable wife to her companion, but her peculiarities led her into misfortune." Unquote. The misfortune Loonsbury spoke of was the divorce of Alice and Pennell in 1878. The reason for the action is not clear, but it seems as if Alice may have been the one who made the choice to leave, while Pennell brought the suit for a divorce. Announcing the notice of divorce in the Bismarck Tribune, Pennell made the claim that Alice had left his bed and board. He would no longer pay for her debts. As quickly as she rose to prosperity, the fall was much quicker. Alice would find herself in a financial burden, and on her own. For a while, she was forced to live as a pauper, which had a great impact on her health. Struggling to survive, Alice would find herself quickly building up a debt. Unable to pay for her medical services, or even wood to keep her warm, her debts were to appear before the Board of County Commission, who took pity on her. Others would lend a hand to Alice, Knowing that she was facing hard times after her divorce, a local minister, Reverend Mr. Miller of the Episcopal Church, would come to her aid, an act Alice soon wouldn't forget. 
The tides would once again change for hours, but it may have been too late. Having been associated with Colonel Sweet when married to Pennell, Alice would once again reconnect with him. Sweet, who had been busy trying to claim land for the railroad, heard that Molly had recently been divorced from Pennell. Shortly after, Alice appeared to develop psychic powers. Their timing couldn't have been better. While Sweet was busy with his land claims, he was also facing a severe pushback from citizen organizations who opposed his claims. At the same time, the spiritualist movement was beginning to take hold across the country, and it found a solid foothold with Alice. Once again, a name change took place. Madame Alice Lachsacher was born, a French medium. She would first be introduced to the community of Bismarck by Stanley Huntley, co-owner of the Bismarck Tribune. Trying to capitalize on the death of John Noonan and his wife, Mrs. Nash, Huntley introduced Madame Alice as a gifted medium who had just arrived in Bismarck. The Madame would conduct a seance, supposedly contacting Noonan. The result? An exceedingly dramatic tale, painting Mrs. Nash as a terrible villain. Establishing Alice as a noteworthy psychic, Sweet would enter into a contract with her. Sweet was to pay the monthly sum of $50, as well as boarding costs for Alice. In return, Alice was to give her time. Quote, In the matter of clairvoyance, mediumship, psychometry, delineations of character, and events in the life of other persons, as well as the discovery and finding of lost and stolen property, and the detection of criminals. Unquote. Over the next few months, Madame Alice would provide many seances, supported by Sweet, that often terrorized and accused local citizens of ghastly actions. She would become a thorn in the side of a few lawyers when called to the stand, and eventually would find a good deal of pushback as well, in particular from the Episcopal Church. Having attended one of the Madame's sittings, Reverend Miller would find himself being threatened with termination from his church. Remembering the support he had shown her, Alice was quick to come to his aid, writing a scathing letter to the editor of the Bismarck Tribune. For Sweet, the investment in Alice eventually paid off. As a result of one of her seances, the citizens' organizations would withdraw their opposition to the location of the town site. In just a short time, Alice was able to accomplish what Sweet had spent many years working towards. That success would abruptly end on May 10, 1879. Just four months after signing her contract with Sweet, Alice passed away. She had lost her battle against a protracted and severe illness. In a short time as a medium, she would effectively erase her past and became known as a remarkable woman. Her obituary in the Bismarck Tribune boasted of Alice as being the first white woman in Bismarck, a caring nurse, and well-known across the country for her work in clairvoyance. The Mystery of Mrs. Nash On October 30th, 1878, one of the most famous army laundresses passed away. During her life, she was beloved by nearly all who met her, and she would quickly be favored by Libby Custer. But with her death, a mystery would surface, one that captured the entire nation. Mrs. Nash was a he. Little was known about the early life of Mrs. Nash. Her birth name has been lost to history, as well as much of her past. It was said that she was from Mexico, where she was once married and had two children, who passed away while still young. It appeared that at this time, she had lived as a man, driving ox teams over the Santa Fe Trail to New Mexico. Eventually, Mrs. Nash would find her way to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where she found a position as a laundress with the U.S. Army in 1866. Nash would gain a reputation of being not only an excellent laundress, but also a talented seamstress who tailored officers' uniforms, a noted baker whose pies were much sought after, 
and a dependable nurse and midwife who, quote, few births occurred without her expert help, unquote, making $17 a month as a laundress, which is more than a private in the army, as well as her work on the side, Nash would build up a sizable nest egg. It may not have been the first time she had worked her way to a fortune, though. She would later say that her first husband had earlier abandoned her, taking all of her money in the process. Nash was not known for her external beauty. People would comment on her angular shape and awkward gait, as well as her coarse and stubborn beard. John Berkman, George Custer's striker, described her as funny-looking. Libby Custer described her in a different fashion. Quote, I shuddered when I spoke to her, for the woman was a Mexican, and like the rest of that hairy tribe, she had so coarse and stubborn a beard that her chin had a blue look after shaving, and a marked contrast to her swarthy face. She was tall, angular, awkward, and seemingly coarse. But I knew her to be very tender-hearted. She always came at night, and, when I went out to pay her, she was very shy and kept a veil pinned around her face." Unquote. Nash would remain veiled, covering her face when going into the public. Catherine Gibson, widow of Captain Francis M. Gibson of the 7th Cavalry, attributed to Nash's Latin heritage. In describing why, Catherine wrote, quote, So bad these winds, she complained, for a young girl's complexion, which, though true, was surprising, inasmuch as she had passed her pristine youth, unquote. It was Nash's heritage, as well as the current prejudices at the time, that explained for those around her her looks. As Gibson wrote, quote, If one, from time to time, noticed a bit of down on her lips, one reflected that Latin women, as they grow older, are prone to develop hair on their faces and let it pass as that. Unquote. While Nash may not have had a picturesque beauty, she was nonetheless a catch. Reputed as an excellent cook, as well as being industrious, she was also a woman of means, who would be married no fewer than four times. Mysteries would surround Nash's marriages. Her first husband would be unknown, having vanished before Nash took her position with the army, while the order of her next two marriages is debated. Most agree, though, that Nash would wed a second time in 1868, marrying Harry O. Clifton, the quartermaster's clerk. The relationship was short-lived. Berkman, speaking of the marriage, said, quote, He'd, Clifton, always been jolly, laughing and cutting up jokes, but after he'd been married a spell, he got to be glum, and just a few days before his time expired, he deserted, saying nothing to nobody, unquote. Like Nash's first husband, Clifton would also desert her, taking all the money she had saved, as well as deserting his military obligations. Libby, commenting on the affair, said that Nash mourned the loss of her money for a short time, but would soon find solace by going to the soldiers' ball, dressed in gauzy, low-necked gowns. It wouldn't be long before another man began to court Nash, though, who was still legally married. On April 3, 1871, the 7th Cavalry arrived in Elizabethtown, and on September 3rd, George Custer took command. They had been assigned to the southern city in order to deal with the Ku Klux Klan and illicit distilleries. For Nash, it would be a turning point. Arriving with Custer, Libby would meet Nash. Immediately, Libby formed an admiration for the laundress. Beginning a friendly relationship, Libby would learn of the trials and tribulations of Nash, including her failed marriages. Along with striking a friendship with Libby, Nash would also meet her third husband, Sergeant James Nash. James was a personal servant to Libby's brother-in-law, Captain Tom Custer, and quickly fell for Nash. In 1872, the two were married. The two would be seen arguing a great deal, but they still seemed happy nonetheless, attending military balls, 
where Nash was said to have had constant partners, as well as other social functions, the marriage seemed to be a success. Nearly a year into their marriage, a seventh was ordered to Dakota Territory, and on June 10, 1873, Nash and her husband arrived at Fort Blaze, where they would stay until they were transferred to Fort Abraham Lincoln on September 21st. In Dakota Territory, Nash would prosper, but not with James. As with her previous husbands, James would also desert Nash, taking with him her substantial savings. James leaving didn't go unnoticed, though. Libby would write that her brother-in-law was very put out by the desertion. While Nash may have grieved for the loss of her third husband, as well as her savings, she would quickly rebound, marrying Sergeant John Noonan by the end of the same year. Noonan, as noted by Libby, was the handsomest soldier in his company, and was often admired for his admirably fitting uniform Nash had made for him, quote, which displayed to advantage his well-proportioned figure, unquote. The marriage seemed to be one filled with happiness. Libby thought Noonan had the best of the bargain, as, quote, for notwithstanding, his wife was no longer young and undeniably homely. She could cook well and spared him from eating with his company, and she was a good investment, for she earned so much by her industry, unquote. Nash, now often called Old Mrs. Nash, kept a bright and tidy home for Noonan. Planting and maintaining a flower garden in front of their modest quarters, she made a home for the two of them, which became the center of the social circle in Suds Row, which was east of the Fort Lincoln Parade Grounds. The two would escape disaster in 1876, when Custer and his men set off for the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Serving with a detached union at the Yellowstone Depot, Noonan would return safely home to Nash after the battle. The couple would have two additional years of happily being married, but the end eventually came. In the fall of 1878, Noonan was sent out on a patrol in pursuit of a party of rebellious Indians. While her husband was away, Nash suddenly fell ill from what was believed to be an appendicitis. As Nash's condition worsened, she called for a priest and instructed those who cared for her that she wanted to be buried as she was. She did not want the normal preparations for her burial. Seeing that a great loss would soon come upon the fort, many would begin to mourn her imminent passing. Given rights, though, that mourning would, for some, turn into indignation. Quote, People demanded what right she had to make a glutton of herself on unripe corn, when so many people were dependent upon her skillful Latin fingers for delicate laundry. Besides, the stork was threatening to alight at any moment upon several chimneys. It wasn't fair, they all contended. Unquote. On November 4th, that indignation turned into hysteria as Nash passed away and a secret was revealed. Wanting to show Nash the proper respect that she deserved by cleaning her up, her closest friends removed her clothing and discovered that Nash was really a man. Berkman noted, quote, We was flabbergasted. Unquote. Libby would relate it in much kinder words. Quote, the mystery which the old creature had guarded for so many years, through a life always public and conspicuous, was revealed. Old Nash, years before, becoming weary of the laborious life of a man, had assumed the disguise of a woman and hoped to carry the secret to her grave. Unquote. The news quickly spread throughout the country, as a dispatch from Bismarck, Dakota Territory, informed the nation, quote, A singular development transpired at Fort Lincoln today. Mrs. Sergeant Noonan, who died last night, turns out to be a man. There is no explanation for the unnatural union, except that the supposed Mexican woman was worth $10,000, and was able to buy her husband's silence. She has been with the 7th Cavalry nine years, unquote. 
Noonan wouldn't inherit the fortune from his wife, though, but instead, Nash had given it all away to the Bismarck Catholic Church. Instead, upon returning to the sad news that his wife had passed away, Noonan was greeted by unrelenting harassment and ridicule from his fellow soldiers. Having just lost a person he loved, who he called his wife, and no longer being able to stand the company of his fellow soldiers, Noonan quickly withdrew. Avoiding others, he busied himself by cleaning the stables south of Fort Lincoln. On November 28th, a reporter from the Bismarck Tribune was finally able to locate Noonan. He was adamant that, quote, he didn't know his wife was a man. In fact, he said that they had been trying very hard to have a baby, unquote. Another mystery was at hand, though, according to Noonan. Quote, there is some terrible mystery about this thing that I can't understand. She had acted as a midwife and doctress here at the post. She was trusted and respected by a large number of people, and I can only think that she must have done something terribly wrong, which demanded a disguise of her sex by the diagnosing physician. Unquote. Noonan would continue by confessing that Nash had once procured an abortion for herself, which she was party to. He would finish the interview by claiming that Nash had been strangely wronged, and at some time, the mystery would be cleared up. Two days later, on November 30th, 1878, Noonan shot and killed himself. Berkman described the circumstances as such. Quote, Noonan walked in. His face was gaunt and sort of set. The carpenter looked up. Hello, Noonan, he says. Say, you and Mrs. Noonan never had no children, did you? We all started laughing, and then he stopped sudden. Noonan was standing, looking. His eyes was wild, like an animal that's been hurt. Then, afore we had sense to stop him, he pulled out his gun and shot himself dead, right there at our feet. Laying there, he looked like a kid, and remembered how once he'd been so full of pranks, I was smiling and jolly. They gave him a nice funeral with a flag and such, and John Martin, the bugler, sounded taps, unquote. The Bismarck Tribune spun the story in a different way, quote, The suicide was committed with a pistol, and Noonan shot himself through the heart. The affair created almost as intense excitement as did the death announcement of Mrs. Noonan. But there was a sigh of relief on the corporate lips of the 7th Cavalry when its members heard that Noonan by his own hand had relieved his own regiment of that odium which a man presence cast upon them, unquote. Years later, it was clear that Noonan's fellow troopers were far from having been relieved by his suicide. But Berkman said, quote, Noonan's troubles meant just as much to him as though he had been a major. Hundreds of graves scattered over Dakota and Montana of men that's never been missed, never been writ up, but they was good soldiers, just the same. And without them, there wouldn't have been no country. Maybe. Unquote. Noonan would be buried with his fellow soldiers, first at Fort Lincoln, and later re-entered at the Custer Battlefield National Cemetery, where a bit of the honor stripped away from his fellow soldiers was returned. Nash would also be buried at Fort Lincoln, but upon the fort's closing, would not accompany her husband. Instead, as with the other unclaimed civilian bodies, she was moved to St. Mary's Cemetery, be laid in an unmarked grave in Section D between Row 1 and 11. Before we continue, we'd like to take a short break and announce a couple events that are coming to the Bismarck-Mandan area. The first, titled Shadow Empire, The Rise and Fall of Religious Freedom, is a live Bible seminar to coming to Mandan on April 28th. The seminar will look at one man, Constantine, who ignited a global movement that, that forever affected the relationship between church and state, discover the consequences of a church driven by the government, and explore what that means for our lives in America today. There will be four sessions, the first one Thursday, April 28th at 7pm, 
is the rise of the early church. Session 2, Friday, April 29, 7 p.m., the persecution of the church. Session 3, Saturday, April 30th, 7 p.m., the marriage of church and state. And session 4, Sunday, May 1st, 7 p.m., Constantine's Christianity. You can pre-register now and receive a free book by visiting shadowempire.com slash mandan or calling 855-881-8228. The event is located at the Mandan Adventist Church, 4500 Old Red Trail, Mandan, North Dakota. There will be free child care for those ages 3 to 10. The second event is a second annual 1940s USO Night hosted by the Dakota Leathernecks Detachment Number 1419 of the Marine Corps League. This year, they will be featuring Big Al's Big Band in recognition of Armed Forces Day. The event is Thursday, May 19th, with a social at 5 p.m., dinner at 6.30, and a dance from 8 to 11. The event is held at 1603 Main Events, and a benefit auction will be held supporting area veterans. Tickets can be bought at Classic Rock and Roll Coffee. 4524 Memorial Highway, Mandan, Bossier Boutique and Studio, 208 East Broadway Avenue, Bismarck, and Hodgepodge, 1459 Interstate Loop, Bismarck. The Mystery of Mrs. Nash Continues The question arises as to why Mrs. Nash would have dressed as a woman for so long. Rumors quickly spread after she died. One such rumor said that a few years before, the political figure had escaped across the Mexican border and disappeared. Sergeant Nash, who had been argued to be Mrs. Nash's first husband, happened to be stationed in that section at the time. It was claimed that when the fugitive had escaped across the Mexican border, this worthy man, disguised as a woman, approached the sergeant, whom he had met at a gambling joint along the border. The man disguised as a woman bribed the soldier to go through with a marriage ceremony and thus giving the culprit the protection of the American flag. There were certain advantages to be gained by such a move. Married soldiers enjoyed more freedom than those who were single, and they were also given individual quarters and did not have to eat in the barracks. Moreover, their wives were permitted to do work on the reservation as well, thereby making more money for that family. It was also said that Sergeant Nash had a weakness for Mexican cooking. He was so goaded by his greed and his appetite that he introduced a veiled bride to the regiment. Later on, Sergeant Nash would, would desert his wife, and it is said that he took up ranching. The second reason for Mrs. Nash's disguise would come from Molly Myers, who was then working as Madame Alice. During a seance, which was attended by a Bismarck Tribune reporter, the first spirit to be contacted that day was said to have been Mrs. Noonan. Exceedingly dramatic, the Mrs. Noonan who surfaced was a terrible villain, while Corporal Noonan burst forward with his honor intact. Mrs. Noonan was said to have reported that her real name was Joseph Drummond. The real reason for changing his sex was to hide from a murder he had committed in the city of Washington 15 years ago. It was claimed that he had killed the Grocer family there. He drugged them and then burned down the house. Escaping from Washington, he then went to New Orleans where he practiced as a physician. Continuing, the spirit claimed to have deceived the Corporal Noonan, afraid that if she had revealed her true sex or name, he would have kicked her out and revealed her for what she was. Corporal Noonan, after all, was a man of honor and a man of integrity. Trying to ask the spirit about their earthly career, the reporter was answered by a fading voice that disappeared. However, he was promised by the medium that there would be more left to communicate, and thus, Stanley Huntley, the co-owner of the Bismarck Tribune, 
would have additional stories. It appears unlikely that Mrs. Nash was actually Joseph Drummond. Searching through old newspapers, no such murder of the Grocer family was actually found. So what actually was the case behind Mrs. Nash? Most likely, she went to the West, as many did, to find a place that she better fit in. Many individuals who identified as being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered found an escape in the West where they were able to live with less fear. The social morals and ideas of the East had not yet penetrated the West, and because of that, there is a lot more freedom. That is it for this episode of the Midwestern Scout. If you like this podcast, please feel free to go to either iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. If you'd like to connect with me, you can email me at editor at midwesternscout.com. For our latest updates, go to facebook.com slash Thank you for tuning in.